Jesus died and rose from the dead to get your house on a rock foundation. He wants your life to be built on a rock. Not on shifting sand, but on a rock. He gave his blood, shed his blood, so that he could take you from being destabilized to stabilized. So he could take you out of shifting sand onto a solid rock where when the winds blow, rain falls, and the floods beat on the house of your life, in the storms of life, it will stand the storm, withstand the storm, and you will be standing after the storm. And also, he wants you to be able to face eternity confidently that his blood has washed away your sin. So I want you to look again at what Jesus had to say. I want to talk to you today about part of that rock foundation. And that part being a life of purpose. Purpose. So let's look at Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Here's our text for this whole series. Jesus said at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached, his Sermon on the Mount, here's what he said. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, we could put it this way, whoever hears what I just said and does what I just said, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on or pummeled that house. And it did not fall because it was founded on a rock, the rock being him and his teachings. Now here comes the second guy who didn't build so wisely. Everyone who hears these things of mine and doesn't do what they heard, doesn't live out what they heard, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Same rain fell. Same floods came, same winds blew, same beating came on that house, but this one fell, and it fell with a great crash. Because when anybody's life crashes, the repercussions go out to many others. No one lives to themselves, no one dies to themselves. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word today. Thank you that Jesus died to put us on a rock, and I pray that you will help us to understand the power of walking in purpose and making purpose a part of our life, a part of that rock foundation. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, and help us to walk out of here and do what we've heard, not just hear it. Now breathe a prayer with me, dear church, and say, Lord, I receive your word. Change my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. He heard it. He heard it. Amen. Now, so far we've talked about just that foundation that Jesus said we've got to build our life on, the foundation of rock. And part of the foundation that Jesus, if you just take the Sermon on the Mount, of course, when I talk about following Jesus, I'm talking about the entire Word of God because the entire Word of God is inspired by him. But just taking the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you just take what I I taught in the Sermon on the Mount, greatest message ever preached, greatest sermon ever heard, if you take what I just told you and do it, your house is going to be on a rock. You will be built on a rock. So when the winds blow and the floods come and the rain falls and you're in a real storm in your life, a temptation storm, marital storm, financial storm, but something is pummeling your life, beating on your house, your house being 
You, your life, what your life consists of, all the issues of your life. In other words, your life is being threatened by a storm. He said, if you'll do what I taught, just what you just heard, then you're on a rock. And part of what he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount is purpose. Walking in purpose. Walking in purpose. Purpose is part of the rock foundation that we have been called to build our lives on. Now, purpose answers two key questions about life. Very crucial questions. Here they are. Why am I here? And what does God want me to do? Why am I here? And what does God want me to do? Those are the two key questions of life. Why am I here? Am I here because evolution put me here? Or am I here because there is a God who made me and put me here? If evolution put me here, it's a whole different story. Then your life is built on sand. If that's how you answer that key question, why am I here? And you say, well, evolution put me here. According to Jesus, you're on sand, and that foundation won't serve you in the end. But if God put me here, then he put me here for a reason. He didn't just put me here to put me here, but he put me here for a reason. And that is where purpose comes in. Because if God put me here, then he put me here with something in mind. He had something in mind. And so that's purpose. That's purpose. That's what purpose is. Now, if you answer those two questions wrongly, here's what I guarantee you. You're going to come into a crisis sooner or later. You're going to experience a crisis if you answer those two questions wrongly. Basketball legend Charles Barkley once said in a television interview that the purpose of his life, now I'm quoting him, he said, my reason to exist is to win an NBA title. He said, that's my purpose. Now, there's some real problems with that thinking, and and I understand Charles having a goal, but let me tell you the problem with that thinking. If your purpose is to win an NBA title, or to make X amount of money, or to live in X type of house, or drive that car, or wear those clothes, have that particular income. If that's your purpose, then you're in the same boat. Because here's the deal. Charles was looking, number one, for personal glory. That's the first problem with his thinking. Second problem with his thinking is his purpose is not big enough. It's not big enough to last a lifetime. Because you know what? He never won an NBA title. See, real purpose, divine purpose, Bible purpose is big enough to last a whole lifetime. You don't want a purpose that won't last a lifetime. You want a purpose that if you live to be 120, your purpose, you are still after that purpose. You are still living that purpose, walking out that purpose. Purpose should last a lifetime, but Charles' vision or his his purpose was not big enough. I want a purpose big enough to last my whole life. Third thing, he couldn't control the outcome. He never did win an NBA title. So guess what Charles probably experienced? Some real disillusionment at the end. Because if your purpose is like that, if your purpose is temporal, if your purpose is not big enough for a lifetime, it's going to fail you in the end. See, what Charles had is a selfish ambition, not a divine purpose. He had an ambition, a fleshly ambition. Now, I I call it selfish only because I know what it is to have ambition that is self-driven, so I call it selfish. If it's self-driven, it's selfish. If it comes from myself and not from God, then it is selfish, self-centered, self-oriented. God does not want us walking in ambition. He wants us walking in purpose. Let me tell you what real success is. Real success is 
is fulfilling your purpose, not your ambition. Do you know the Bible talks about ambition? And do you know that the Bible shows the difference between ambition and purpose? James wrote about ambition. Listen to what James said. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from, down from heaven, but listen to how he describes ambition. It is earthly, sensual, and even the, the demonic can become involved in it. For where you have envy, and here it is again, selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and every evil work. Where people are consumed with selfish ambition, you find them clawing their way to the top, stepping on people to get there, many times cutting ethical edges to get there. And James said where there is this kind of self-centered, self-driven ambition, he said you're going to find disorder and all kinds of evil practices. Ambition has a horizontal outlook. It's all about you and what you want. Purpose has a vertical uplook. It's all about him and what he wants. Amen? Now, again, there's not anything wrong with ambition as long as your ambition does not get in the way of God's purpose for you. So I believe we ought to run every ambition we've got through the sifter of God's will and God's purpose for us. And, and the Bible says that if, if something gets between us and the will of God, we are to die to it so that we can seek the purpose of God. Because purpose is always more powerful, always better, always higher, always more fulfilling than any ambition. Purpose is completely different. It's not selfish. It originates with God, not man. Purpose is all about God's glory, not mine. A foundation built on ambition is that sand foundation that Jesus said in the end it's going to fail you. But a building on God's purpose is the rock foundation that Jesus spoke about. See, I live by purpose. I'm not ambition-driven. I am purposeful. I live according to God's purpose for my life. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that if you wrongly answer those two questions, why am I here and what does God want me to do, it would lead to a crisis. Now, let me tell you why it leads to a crisis. And here's the crisis it leads to. The crisis comes when what you thought your ambitions would deliver don't come through in the end. That's when you have a crisis. What I thought my ambition was going to give me, I thought I was going to be happy when I had all that money. I thought I was going to be fulfilled when I was living in that house. I thought I was going to really have peace of heart when I achieved that level in my career. I just believed that it was going to deliver to me the things that really matter. Peace, fulfillment, joy, meaning. And when it doesn't deliver that, I find myself in a crisis. Asking questions like, what was it all for? What did I give all those years for? What was I chasing? What has it really delivered to me? Am I happy? Am I fulfilled? And when you chase your own ambitions and not God's purpose, I guarantee you, in the end, you're going to find sand shifting through your fingers and not a fulfilled heart. Because flesh can never fulfill, but God's purpose always fulfills. Nobody wrote about this disillusionment after chasing your own ambitions better than Solomon did. Solomon wrote vividly 
about the disappointment and the disillusionment that comes from chasing your own ambitions instead of God's purpose. In a very dark time in his life, let me shock you with something. You may not know this, but in a very dark time in his life, Solomon walked away from God. He pushed God out. The wisest man in the history of the world next to Jesus Christ himself pushed God out. He decided, I'm going to try life without God. And he pushed God out. He chased his own ambitions. And he recorded in the Bible what he reaped. Now you'll find him using a little phrase over and over again. And the phrase is under the sun. He said, you know, when I looked at this under the sun or that under the sun, or I saw this or witnessed that under the sun, and he talks about vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he always mentions under the sun. Let me tell you what that means. When he says under the sun, he's meaning life without God. It means a horizontal perspective under the sun. I'm not looking up. I'm looking this way, not this way. And I'm looking at life under the sun. And he said living life without God under the sun. When I, when I did my own thing, went my own way. Under the sun, here's what I experienced. And here's what he wrote about it. He said, under the sun, without God, chasing my own thing, he said, nothing is worthwhile. Everything is futile. What does a man get for all his hard work? Listen to these words now. Everything is unutterably weary and tiresome. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Listen to that. Futile, weary, tiresome. Never satisfied, not content. That's what life gives you when you chase your own ambitions and don't come under God's will and purpose for your life. That's what it ends up being. Futile, weary, tiresome, never satisfied, not content. What's it all for? It's one thing to be involved in manual labor. I love Emmanuel labor. Because when I'm involved in Emmanuel labor, it is so fulfilling it is so good. My heart is so full. Now listen, he, it, during this time of drifting, Solomon says, I tried everything that the world had to offer. Listen to how he describes it. I'm so thankful he was transparent. Listen to this. I decided to try the road of drink. I'm going to just tell you what that means. He was drinking a lot. Solomon was getting drunk. Solomon was abusing alcohol. He goes on. I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Next, I changed my course again and followed the path of folly. Anything I wanted, I took and did not restrain myself from any joy. Sounds like a great life, right? But look what he said. But as I looked at everything I had tried, it was all so useless, a chasing of the wind, and there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. That's life without God. This is the harvest that he reaped when he said, you know what? I'm going to push God out, and I'm going to do my own thing, go my own way, and I'm going to chase my own ambitions. And that's what it gave him. Whatever you put into life is what you're going to get out of life. What you sow is what you're going to reap. Now, on the other hand, Jesus said to his own followers, let me ask you here today, how many of you really want to follow Jesus Christ? Really want to follow Jesus Christ? He's the one you want to go after. You want to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? He said, I'm the way. I'll get you there. I'm the truth. I'm going to lead you without lying to you, and I'm the life. If you want way, truth, and life, I'm the one. Now, if you're after Jesus, here's what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
including selfish ambition, and take up his cross every single day and follow me. Now here's what Jesus taught us. As Christians, we're called to crucify anything that stands in opposition to God's purpose for us, including ambition. Amen? Because we don't want to miss God's purpose. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Well, Jeff, that's great. I love hearing this kind of thing. But how can I know God's purpose? I don't know God's purpose. I wish I knew God's purpose. How many of you would be happy today if you could leave church having heard for sure what God's will is for you? For you. You. I'm talking right to you. How many of you want to know God's will for you? How many of you, boy, I wish I knew God's will for me. I'm about to tell you God's will for you. How many of you would like to know God's will for you? I know God's will. You're giving me an underwhelming response here. <laughs> Come on, everybody. How many of you don't want to know God's will? You want to walk in God's will? All right. Jesus told us, he said, if you hear these sayings of mine and do them, in the sayings of Sermon on the Mount, he told us what God's will is. For every single person who names the name of Christ, we know his will. First, Jesus taught us how to view ourselves. He said, I want you to live as a called person. A called person. I want you to say with me, I'm called. Now, let me give you, let me give you a shocker here. You're as called as me. Now you say, well, Jeff, I can't be called as you because you're up there preaching and you're a pastor of a church. That doesn't mean anything. You're as called as I am. Jesus said so. Now let me ask you a question before I read what he said. Do you see yourself as a called person? Is that how you view yourself? Do you see yourself, view yourself as a called person? Because let me tell you about our world. Our world is always wanting to define you. Our world wants to define you, and usually, if you let the world define you, the world will define you down. The world will define you down. The world wants to define you, and let me tell you who else wants to define you. God wants to define you. Jesus defined people. When he called Peter, he, he, said, he said, you're going to be called Peter the Rock because you're going to be a winner of souls, and he defined him. I'm going to make you disciples of mine, fishers of men. And he defined them. You are a chosen generation. That's definition. You are a royal priesthood. That's God's word defining you. You are a holy nation. You are a called out people. The God's word has defined us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, let me tell you about you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of of the earth. Everybody say, I am. am. See, the devil wants to define you. He wants to tell you you're no good. He wants to tell you you're a loser. He wants to tell you that you don't have any talent. He wants to tell you that you are useless. He wants to define you down where you don't do anything for God. I learned long ago, I'm going to be defined by either the world, the devil, or God. If I'm going to do anything for God, I've got to let God do the defining of me. Come on, everybody. God defines me. So listen to what Jesus said. He said, I want you to see your life. I want you to see you as a called person. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that interesting? We go out after we get saved and we say, yesterday I found the Lord. No, I can I tell you, he found you. If you were to look at how you got saved, 
God was, God was on your trail probably for years. He was tracking you. He was following you. And you know what? He probably backed you into a corner and then showed you your need for him. And when he led you to the cross, that wasn't your bright idea. That was the Holy Ghost who showed you your need of Jesus Christ. And you bowed and you said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And he came into your heart. And then we go out and say, yesterday I found the Lord. No, the Lord said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you. And then he goes on, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, let me just look at this again. First, you're chosen. Say with me, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Now, chosen is very powerful. It comes from a Greek word that means this. We got to catch this today. Chosen means a highly deliberate choice with a definite outcome in mind. Wow. So not only did he choose you, find you, convict you, and save you, but he had something in his mind. He had an outcome in his mind for your life, and that is not just heaven, but while you're on earth, he chose you with a particular outcome in mind. But then he goes on and says, not only are you chosen, you're appointed. I love this now. Appointed means to be set or placed in a particular location. So let me just take these two, chosen and appointed, and put them together. Every believer, listen carefully to this, it'll change your life. Every believer is chosen and appointed by him to a particular station in life with a definite outcome in mind. Wow. That's so good, I'm going to read it again. I don't want you to ever forget it. Every believer, that means you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, here's God's will for you. Every believer is chosen and appointed by him to a particular station in life with a definite outcome in mind. Say, I'm called, I'm chosen, I'm appointed. Amen. It doesn't matter where you are. Or what you do. You may be a plumber or a lawyer, a doctor or a trash collector, blue collar, white collar, rich, poor, educated, not educated. None of that matters because he's not talking here about vocation. He's talking about location. He's telling you and he's telling me that he has chosen me, saved me, and appointed me to have an effect for him in my location. In my location, wherever I live, move, have my being, go to work, go home, my neighbors, my friends, my co-workers, all of that that makes up my life, I am there in God's will with something, a particular outcome in mind. I see the church like a great big salt shaker. He said, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. And you got a salt shaker, and, and, and let's just say you're at, you're at a steakhouse, and here's a beautiful steak. And you pick up that salt shaker, and you are intentional about where you put that salt. You're not going to put it on the table. You're not going to put it on the floor. You're not going to put it on your own clothes. You've got a location for that salt to go. And you salt that steak on purpose, with a purpose in mind, with an outcome in mind, that that steak will taste better. 
God takes every church like a great big giant salt shaker, and he says, I'm intentionally going to put it right where I've put it so that I can salt that area with influence for my son, Jesus Christ, so they can shine and they can salt it with an outcome in mind. Amen. When you go to work, you're a called person. When you go bowling on a Friday night, you go as a called person. When you go on vacation to that beautiful beach, you go as a called person. There's no vacation from God. When you are at home watching that baseball game, you're there as a called person. See, Jesus said, I want you to see yourself everywhere you go and everything you do as a called person. My hand is on you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're mine. And you are a called person. We're not called on Sunday and not on Monday. We're called on Tuesday. We're sanctified on Wednesday. We're chosen on Thursday. We're sent on Friday. We're his on Saturday. And we ought to come in here on Sunday and overflow with what happened all week long because we were called out there. I'm a called person on divine assignment. 24-7, 365 days a year, I'm a called man. When I look in the mirror, I see a called man. He called me. He chose me. He appointed me. And you're the same. I want you to go out of here today, go find a mirror, look yourself in the eye and say, you're called. Amen? And you're probably thinking, well, Jeff, if I'm called for a purpose, then what is the purpose? I'm glad you asked that because Jesus told us what the purpose is. It's so simple. Are you ready? You're called. Here's God's will for you. You're called to be fruitful. I have chosen you that you would go and bring forth fruit that lasts. I've called you to be fruitful. Now, there's only two ways you can be fruitful within and without. We all understand the inside part of fruitfulness, don't we? Because the Bible talks so much about it. The Bible says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Let's read these together, can we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, that's what happens when you are abiding in the vine. Jesus said, let me tell you how to bear that kind of fruit. Here's how you do it. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Well, how do you abide in him? He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So if you hear and do, it's not just hearing, but it's doing. If you hear his sayings and live them out, you'll bring forth fruit. It doesn't come overnight. You love a little bit more today than you did a year ago. I can tell you truthfully, I love people more now than I did five years ago. I love patience. I, just ha- I hate having to wait for it. it. It just grows on you, though, doesn't it? You learn patience a little bit at a time. Little here, little there. You're loving a little more, a little more patient, a little more long-suffering. You're a little more merciful. You're not so ornery as you used to be. What's happening? All you got to do is hang with him. I mean, an apple on an apple tree, it's not working itself to death. It's just hanging on the right tree. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and you hear it and then you do it, you're, you're abiding in me, you're hanging, you're hanging on the vine. And what is in the vine is going to flow into you. So that's how we bring forth the fruit. But, but there's also the fruit 
outside. Now, when Jesus told those disciples, when he said, I have chosen you, and you're called, and you're appointed to go and be fruitful, they fully understood. He wasn't just talking about the inside. He was talking about reaching others with Jesus Christ, with the gospel, with his love, with a testimony, reaching others for him. That's what he was talking about. They understood that. They understood that he meant, I want you to go reproduce. Now, let me tell you something about the way God made things. God made all living things to reproduce. And all living things reproduce by seed. And all living things reproduce only after their kind. So an apple tree isn't going to produce a tomato. A bird is not going to produce a porcupine. You're going to reproduce after your kind. Listen to me carefully. Everything alive reproduces. Everything living reproduces. If they didn't reproduce, their species would die out. Now let me ask you a question. As a believer in Jesus Christ, are you alive I said, are you alive? He called you from death to life, lost to found, blind to sight, hell bound to heaven bound. The Bible says he made us alive in him. Now, if I'm alive, I'm supposed to be reproducing after my kind. Come on, everybody. I should be reproducing after my kind. So if I'm an alive believer in Jesus Christ, a born-again son of God, then I should be reproducing after my kind. I I have some flowers in my backyard, some beautiful purple flowers. And one day I was out there, I planted these these flowers, and one day I was out there and I saw the flowers are over here, and yet way over here on the other side, these purple flowers started coming out of the ground. Same flowers. It ran a number on me at first. Because I couldn't remember going over there and planting them. So I was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, it's starting to happen. (laughs) But, But watch this now. Here they are way over here, but I see them growing way over here. And then I realized what happened. Listen what happened. The wind blew. The wind blew. And grabbed a seed from that purple flower because everything living sows. Everything living sows. And the wind blew, grabbed some seeds off those flowers, carried them, and dropped them into good ground. And those flowers reproduced after their kind. And I thought, it's just like you and me. See, we're out there in the workaday world. Now, let me tell you about Jesus. Listen to carefully about Jesus. Did he stay within the four walls of the synagogue all the time? No. He was always out there. He was accused of being with the publicans, the sinners, the up-and-outers, the down-and-outers, the prostitutes, all kinds of different people. Jesus was accused of being around them and running with them and talking to them. And the Pharisees, who were stuffy and religious and always had their nose up in the air, said, what are you doing talking to them? He said, I didn't come for those who are whole. I came for those who are sick and need a physician. And so he was always out there circulating amongst the people. Now listen, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And then he said, listen to this. He said, nobody puts a, lights a lamp and hides it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. You know what he's saying there? 
We're not called to be undercover Christians. But we're called to take the lid off. Let him out. Let him out. So if Jesus was always out there in the world, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he lives in you and me by the Holy Spirit, then don't you know that when you're out there in the world and when I'm out there in the world, he wants us to let him out? Come on, everybody. I was talking to a, I was talking to a guy that used to work for me. I had lunch with him, and he's out there in the secular world now. He said, you know, Jeff, he said, when I was in ministry, I used to think that the only place to let my light shine was when I was on stage, that that's where I let the light shine. When I'm on stage, when I was on stage, I was supposed to let the light shine. He said, but you know what I realize now? I realize that my stage is the world. And everywhere I go. And he said, the other day I was in a store and I was buying some clothes. And I wasn't thinking about anything. And this waitress, or not waitress, but uh, this lady was helping me find the clothes. And and, um, he said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, rose up in me and seemed to say, let me out. Remember the the jack-in-the-box? Remember that? Boom! Just like that, Jesus wants out of you. He wants out. So he said, all of a sudden, I knew that this lady had a daughter, and she had been praying that that daughter would come home. And I felt the Lord tell me to tell her that. Well, I said, well, that's my own imagination. I'm not going to do it. And he started to leave and he was walking out the door and the Lord said, let me out. Let me out. See, if you could hear the Holy Ghost all the time when you're out there in your workaday world, he's saying, let me out. Let me out. Let Jesus be Jesus through you. So he said, I couldn't leave. So I went back and she had already gone on break. So I said to the uh, other woman who had taken her place, where did she go on break? And she told me, I said, would you go get her? And so this, she went and got this lady and she came up to me and he said, I just got to tell you, and I hope I don't offend you, but I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And the Lord wants you to know he's heard your prayer about your daughter and she's going to come home. Well, the woman, the woman well up in tears and this person left. Well, a couple of weeks later, they went back and she came running up to him. So I got to tell you, She came home three days later. Now listen. Now that's kind of unusual. That's a little unusual. That's kind of a word of knowledge kind of thing. But here's the deal. Everywhere we go, we are chosen. We are commissioned. We are appointed sowers. I have chosen you that you would sow and bring forth fruit. And your fruit remains. Can we stand together today? I want you to stay with me. I've got it. See, he's living in you. And you know what Jesus is in you? He's a soul hunter. He's a soul hunter. And all you've got to do when you're out there is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And you'll hear him say, say something. It's this easy. Would you mind, I'm a Christian, would you mind if I prayed for you? Is there anything I can pray with you about? Rare is the person who won't say, well, sure, if you want to pray, you can pray about this. Or, do you go to church anywhere? Or, I don't know, you find a bridge 
and, and get good. And, and you'll find that once you start flowing and sowing that seed, sowing that seed, he's chosen me and appointed me in my location with a purpose in mind to bring forth fruit. And you'll start seeing people maybe years later who say, you know, when you said that to me, I had a funeral here last week. It was a tough one because it was a man who went here and he, he died suddenly and it, and it hurt me. It really hurt me. I preached his funeral and it was a lot of people. And I said, you know, some of these people are never again going to be in a church. So you know what I did? Remember Johnny Appleseed? Always had those apple seeds with him. I said, I'm going to sow the gospel. And I sowed the gospel, shared what Jesus did, and I prayed a sinner's prayer. And do you know that the widow told us today, a woman that she knows gave her heart to Christ that day in that funeral. I'm a seed sower. I sow everywhere I go. I'm always throwing it around. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that we're called. Thank you that we're chosen. Thank you that we're appointed to sow, to bring forth kingdom fruit. Now, can we lift holy hands to the Lord today? Say, Jesus, help me to see myself as you see me. I'm called. Help me to sow, to bring forth fruit. In the name of Jesus. Now, with your heads bowed, you might be here today and say, you know, Jeff, I don't even know if I'm saved. I hear you. I've enjoyed the message, but I'm not sure that I know Jesus. Can I just tell you today that he loves you and I'm not here to condemn you or judge you? But Jesus today can come into your heart right now, today. You can leave this building with Jesus living in your heart. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, just like I prayed at that funeral. And if you want to pray it with me right now, sir, ma'am, if you're not sure you're saved, I wouldn't get on that highway until I'm sure. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Let's pray it. Pray it with me right here, right now. You can do it. Let's go to Jesus. Say, Jesus, forgive me my sin. I repent of my wrong. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, come into my heart as Savior and Lord this moment, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.